The Bible reading is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 23. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly, Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray as we look at this passage together. Um, a few words to think about this morning. The prayer of Paul in chapter one, uh, verse nine. Lord, our prayer this morning is that your love may abound more and more 
in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best, excellent, and maybe pure and blameless for the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Well, the grace of the Lord be with your spirit. What a great way to end a letter. The grace of the Lord renew be with your spirit. Well, growing up, I used to watch uh, or love watching um, Only Fools and Horses. It was a long-running TV sitcom where Del Boy and Rodney were forever coming up with scams to make extravagant money um, out of all sorts of different ways. And each time those schemes of money-making seem to fail. And one of my phrases that I love so much in that passage, uh, in that programme was, this time next year, Rodney, we'll be millionaires, or he used to say millionaires. This time next year, we'll be millionaires, which strangely reminded me of this letter of Paul to the Philippians, and especially our passage this morning. Wonderfully, we are promised God's abundant riches in a new heaven and a new earth. But more than that, even today, whoever we are, we enjoy the status of God's millionaires. And over these past weeks, we've learned that Philippians is a letter of joy, of abundance rejoicing, all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a letter about Jesus. Whatever's going on around us, in our households or in our workplaces, in our community and in our world, as Christians, we are people of joy. Joy is to possess Christ. To rejoice in the Lord is to live as one who possesses Christ. Last week, we were reminded again that we are citizens of heaven, foreigners in a strange land, soldiers behind enemy lines with an assignment for, from the king himself as an assignment to shine like stars in the night, in the, in the world, holding out the word of life in this warped and crooked generation. And it's not mission impossible, but chapter one, verse two, um, as the Philippians, we are saints. We are set apart for God and his purposes. And verse two, the grace of the Lord, the peace from God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ is upon us. And then Paul starts to remind them, the Philippians, how this will happen and how it has happened. They've been partnering with Paul in the gospel, um, which was proof that they belonged to Jesus and that God would bring them to that heavenly city, finish the work that he started. And that word partnership, this proof of their allegiance to Christ, keeps coming up in the letter, doesn't it? As we share with one another in this business, this family business of the gospel and the Philippian church is a model church and despite being planted by Paul who had to leave in a hurry under great opposition um, fending for themselves as an infant church they nevertheless kept going kept serving kept rejoicing in Christ as they waited for the day of Christ and it hasn't been easy and it isn't easy for us we face opposition as they do, 
uh, and there's a wrong message that's come into the church saying Jesus is great, but you've got to do this as well. And it's tempting to our heads to drop. And these pressures that come to us, Paul wants to write into to encourage us, to encourage the Philippians. He wants them to have the same mind, to serve one another lovingly, putting the other ahead of themselves and encourage each other in the good news of the gospel. Partners struggling together as citizens of heaven, soldiers of the king, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, you remember, marching forward with the word of life being held out to the world that needs the word of life, a world that is dying and without Christ. And in this closing section, Paul is rejoicing again. Did you see that in verse 10? Because their minds are thinking of gospel things. Their minds, and that's the word concern, is for Paul. And the gift that they've given to Paul is a sign of this concern, this mind for gospel work and Paul. And Paul, in many ways, this letter is a thank you letter to the Philippians for their gift that they've sent. And at first reading, this sounds like a bit of a begrudging thank you, doesn't it? A sort of thank you letter that you would uh, write to your granny when they hadn't quite given you the thing that you really wanted and rather gave you something a little bit not quite right. Um, it sounds a bit like that, but it really isn't. Um, but Paul is actually full of joy, less so about the gift, but more so about uh, the givers, uh, what the gift represents. Uh, these wonderful Christians who've been thinking about Paul, who want to serve Paul and give him what he needs. Yes, he's happy with what he's been given. Um, he's got food on the table in prison, clothes on his back. Verse 18 says he's well supplied. But more than that, uh, their gift is a demonstration of the riches that the Philippians have discovered in Jesus Christ, that they are gospel millionaires. They have demonstrated this in their partnership, in their friendship with Paul. And indeed, that is Paul's confidence for them in verse 19. But before we get to that and the example of the Philippians, let's look at the example of Paul, um, because verse 10 to 13 the riches of Christ means contentment. That's my first point. The riches of Christ means contentment. And chapter four, verse nine, Paul says, whatever you've learned, received or heard from me, do it. So he's demonstrating here contentment. And the Philippians are sort of following his footsteps. Uh, they've shown concern for Paul. They've renewed their concern, verse 10. Um, so once again, he's received a gift from them. And we know how costly that was. Philippians was a poor church materially, yet they'd sent a bag of money with Epaphroditus to Paul. And it cost them that losing Epaphroditus for a long time. And it cost Epaphroditus, hadn't it? He almost died on the journey. Well, clearly from the next section, this was typical of Philippi. Um, the only reason why there's been a pause in their giving is because they just hadn't had the opportunity, it says in verse 10. There's not been the chance. Yet as soon as they could, they sent a gift to Paul. And Paul is clearly grateful, but he wants to teach them contentment. And not only with their finances, but in all things. And that's why we keep hearing this refrain, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. 
uh, discontent is um, our default setting, isn't it? We're slow to rejoice. We like to grumble. In fact, Englishmen apparently like to grumble about the weather. If there's a pause in the conversation, let's do that. But verse 12, Paul has learned the mystery, the secret of contentment. And you have noticed, haven't you, that the world is clamoring to try and discover what contentment is. You see the bookshops full of content, how to self-help books and all that business. But verse 13, here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I do all things through him who gives me strength. Verse 12, Paul can live in plenty or in want. He can live well fed or hungry. Whatever it is, Jesus will give him the strength because of the riches of Christ. He's a gospel millionaire. And we can, he can rest in Christ and all those things. And we see that. Uh, try reading Acts 16 and this letter together uh, uh, later on in the day. And try and read it in a short space of time together because we get this real sense of trial and difficulty of gospel living. And yet, amongst it all, great joy. In fact, Paul and Silas in the prison at midnight are found singing God's praises. Because no situation is too big for God to handle. And Stoics of Paul's day used to work hard to be content, uh, work hard to live in simplicity and poverty. But their goal was self-sufficiency. But Paul's contentment is in poverty or wealth. Whatever's going on, not to be self-sufficient, but to rely and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. For me to live as Christ, says Paul in chapter one, to live as Christ and to die as gain and strengthened by Jesus. Wherever Paul ends up, whatever the situation, he will be content. The rest, beatings, shipwrecks, I rejoice. And even on death row, to die is gain. And that's big news, isn't it, for those of us who are facing trials of all kinds and sizes. Paul doesn't care here whether people are rich or poor, but whether they've learned the mind of Christ. That they are citizens of heaven. Their future is secure. And Paul is a man of Christ. And so he will take what Christ gives to him. The riches of Christ means contentment. Last week, I was listening to a radio play about Napoleon's surrender to the English. And he was hoping to live out his rest of his days in relative comfort or even perhaps um, make a new power of claim for power in France. But he had this very loyal right hand man called Bertram or Bertram to meet you and me. And as they sailed to England, Bertram's Irish wife suggested that they return to Ireland and settle there and let Napoleon carry on with the English. And Bertram said, no, that's impossible. My place is at Napoleon's side. And he knew what that meant. That meant following him into exile and into hardship. He gave up his freedom for his boss, for Napoleon. He was loyal to the end. And Paul, similarly, was a true disciple of Christ, taking up his cross to follow him, loyal to the end. And that doesn't make him a spiritual superman, but he's simply confident that Christ could match any situation that Paul faces. So he, he didn't really need the Philippians money, but he rejoices in it. So the riches of Christ means contentment. 
and the richness of Christ mean partnership. That's the next bit, verse 14 to 17, partnership. Now, we've already had partnership explained to us in uh, this letter, and we've seen this love and friendship between the Philippians and Paul, and his heart's been on display in our passage today. But he longs for them in chapter 4, verse four, uh, 8, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Sorry, that's 1, verse 8. And here, verse 1, chapter 4, he's full of love again. And they've demonstrated his love for them, for his, their love for him, renewing their concern for him as soon as they could, sending him this gift. And in this section, when other churches have failed uh, to help Paul, um, the Philippians have succeeded. Verse 15, this was how true friendship was demonstrated in the Greco-Roman world. It was almost contractual, a loyalty of giving and receiving, verse 15. And that means in the light of our previous bit, 10 to 13, this gift was more about friendship than it was about need. But more so is about our friendship born out of our love for Christ. And therefore, it was more than friendship. It was partnership. And that's the word partnership in verse 14. It was good and kind of you to partner, to share in my troubles. And there's numerous passages in the Bible about giving. But this one is specifically in regard to partnership in the gospel. It means that their gift was an investment. And we touched on this a few weeks ago, didn't we? As Christians, we are partners together in the same business, the business of the gospel. And when we give this, when we give, it's more about, it's more than an investment into the family business, isn't it? The families had Sorry, families, the Philippians have partnered with Paul in his suffering and chains, willing to stand up for him, counted as Christ's. But also financially, they demonstrated they're giving to Paul for the gospel work. He's the one going into the known world, planting churches and so on. And verse 16, even Thessalonica, uh, the planting that went on there, Philippians have a stake in it. And Paul there in that chapter 17 of Acts. Um, is credited with turning the world upside down. So the Philippians have a stake in turning the world upside down. And that's our giving as a church. We are putting our stake in turning the world upside down, that the world will hear that Jesus is Lord, whether overseas or here in Banbury. And because of Jesus, the Philippians want the gospel to flourish and they make their investment. So the riches of Christ means partnership and it's an investment that is not without returns in fact we find this very upside down economics here verse 17 despite giving out of their poverty in philippi we learn that their account is credited it fills up for their investment was of course heavenly and that's the best investment ever my mum used to say that to me if i did the washing up or something i would perhaps ask for 50p and she said your reward is in heaven. But that's another story. It is the investment that never perishes, spoils or fades. So my gift to Luke and Mary Foster and Chile may be a big deal to me and my bank balance because it's costly, as is my gift to the Clarks or the Shalom Project or whatever it is. But the money's not wasted for they're telling, they're proclaiming the gospel among the lost. And we are here hearing wonderful stories of lives rescued for Christ from hell for heaven through such ministry. And at gift day, 
that wasn't a charitable setting aside of our funds to support a good cause. We were giving to the family business, the family business. And we are partners in that as a church family. And wonderfully, um, for an update of our gift day giving, um, we have, with gift aid included, £4,500 has been raised uh, because of our gift day. Um, 3,750 came in, but because of gift aid, it's bumped up to 4,500. And that target of 5,000 is, is within reach. So thanks be to God for his faithfulness. It's been a difficult year. Some of us might have given out of our poverty, but we are investing in the family business. And uh, praise the Lord for his goodness to us and giving us the privilege of giving. So we weren't uh, making a charitable donation we were partnering in the gospel and that's being part of the riches of Christ and it's been credited to our account verse 17 and that's the fruit that Paul is so excited about in this section verse 10 he's rejoicing remembering uh, and not in the gift remember um, but in what it represents their response to the gospel so partnership um, here is in giving and the giving actually is really about them, isn't it? So Paul, um, he doesn't want them caring for Paul. Paul wants them caring for the church, for the growth, the kingdom. Um, and that's the question for us, isn't it? Is that my heart? Because um, he wants me to care about the church. He wants us to care about the gospel work. Is that how I view my money, uh, my time and my gifts? Because if we don't think about our money in this way, it's possible we don't think about our lives in that way either. It's that age-old prayer, isn't it? Oh, Lord, uh, all things belong to you, and of, you, of your own do we give you. Are we partners in the gospel? If so, we are partners in turning the world upside down. Actually, the more we understand this, the more excited we become about giving, whether it's of ourselves or our bank balance. The riches of Christ mean partnership. But it's even better than that. Thirdly, the riches of Christ means sacrifice. Look at that at verse 18. Did you notice it? Paul's taking us from the bank to the temple. They are a fragrant offering, says Paul, acceptable to God, pleasing to him. It was costly for the Philippians to give to Paul's work. And its language is sacrifice um, that Paul turns to. Um, like one brings to the temple that, that gift for the Lord. And um, the, 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 the aroma raises up to the heavens as they burn it on the altar. And it's pleasing to the Lord if it's given in the right way. Well, in the same way, Paul says your gift is to actually to the Lord. And it's given in the right way and it's pleasing to him. It reminds me of the story of the, the dad who's given a dodgy mug. Um, no, it's a lovely mug bought from the shop. But his five-year-old son had painted daddy on it in a, in a sort of childish scrawl, as you would at a five-year-old, wrapped it dodgily and given it to him. But as he opens it, his face is filled with joy. Um, it might be almost worthless to the world, but to him, it's, it's wonderful. Yes, it was probably his money that paid for the mug um, and for the paints at the boy's birthday and for the wrapping paper and for the sellotape. But nevertheless, even the boy's life was granted to him in, the, in one sense by mum and dad. But even so, this gift gave great pleasure to dad. And in the same way, all the things that we have belong to the Lord. But when we give it back to him, uh, he, 
used it says the riches of christ means sacrifice a few moments ago i said the riches of christ means partnership well as i arrive at the last few verses of this passage um it kind of flips the other way around doesn't it partnership means the riches of christ earlier in the passage we saw that friendship in these days was one of giving and receiving verse 15 well the philippians have given generously to paul and now it's paul's turn to give back but for paul content in christ as he is turns to his god and says he will pay you back on my behalf did you notice that in verse 19 god will my god will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in christ jesus please this is the verse if any verse you're going to take home today please may it be this one verse 19 partnership in the gospel is about giving and receiving and here god assumes the, the responsibility of payback and they get a far better deal don't they the philippians a fair exchange as i used to say uh, paul promises the philippians that god will cover every need every material need and everything else one writer says there's no better way to conclude the letter in the midst of their poverty, the pressures of the, the hostility from without and also sometimes from within. Paul says God will meet that need, um, not your employer, uh, not your tax office. No, God will supply every need, not necessarily every want or desire, but every need. He will supply your steadfastness your joy he will supply your encouragement he will supply what you need to advance in the faith together as a church with one mind god will richly supply give you the grace of humility so that you can serve each other in love in the place of grumbling and, and anxiety he will bring his peace that peace that transcends all understanding what a beautiful verse this is my God will act for me on your behalf, says Paul, and he will fill up your needs and he will do it richly. And as we dwell on God's character, we see that his riches are plentiful. We gaze on Jesus. We see even more so the gospel, the riches of his grace that brought us out of death into new life with him our eternal rescue and that's where paul wants to take us in this investment language he points us then all the philippians to a glorious future a city where we really belong of which we are already citizens so as a church family let's study this letter continue to look at it and uh, pour over it counting ourselves as citizen soldiers of heaven and not only in the future but today we are millionaires enjoying the riches of Christ. We need to make more cash withdrawals, don't we? Again and again uh, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So the prayer we started with at the beginning of this sermon, we find its answers in Jesus, don't we? As we put on the armour together, as we partner in the gospel, as we march forward as a church family here at St Paul's, holding out the word of life, even this Christmas time, we pray that we'll be growing as well as going in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be able to discern what is best, how we walk with him more and more, and what we would be to be pure and blameless for that day of Christ Jesus when he will return and see our fruits of righteousness that comes through the, the praise of the glorious God 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Praise God.